TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Minnesota Sports Rewind. We, we want them. If we play the Red Sox, we play the Yankees, we want those guys, you know. What are we going to say? No, we don't want those guys. <laughs> we're not scared. We're competitors. We're Major League Baseball players. We're, we're scared. We need to get a dog and go home. So we're not... Into right center field, going to get it, Jones. The Twins win game one. And Tim, tonight they did it with pitching and defense. This was the most uncharacteristic game for the two starters tonight and for the way the Yankees have been going. What a job by the defense of the Minnesota Twins. Strong seven innings from Santana, then Rincon and Nathan to finish it up. Welcome in. This is a special, what should be home opener day edition of Minnesota Sports Rewind. It's still home opener day to us, dang it. Judd Zolgad already went over to Target Field, was properly distanced There's physically no from other people. There. There's no one over there. Did a morning Judd video yeah, this morning. I was perfectly safe because sadly, really sadly, People have rightfully so stayed home. Yeah, and uh, keep staying home. We appreciate you mm-hmm. stay at home. Mm-hmm. And we will attempt to entertain you as we do on a daily basis here at Score North and the Score North app. This is Minnesota Sports Rewind, where we do deep dives into prominent Minnesota sports events, games, trades, moments, you name it. I'm Phil Mackey. This is Judd Zolgad. We've got Declan Goff over here behind the glass. And this episode is all about ALDS Game 1 in 2004 otherwise known as the last time the Twins won a playoff game. And we're going to do a deep dive into the game, a deep dive into sort of the landscape in and around the game. It was a 2 nothing shutout with Johan Santana throwing, I wouldn't say seven gem innings, but seven, seven innings where he sort of worked around control problems and was just magnificent in his ability to get out of jams. And so I'll set the scene, and then we'll get into our key questions and Michael Kadire will join us in about 25 minutes here on the episode. At second base in that entire That's series. Right. He was, man, Michael Started Kedire. second base in every game of that series. He was a starting second baseman, a starting third baseman, and a starting corner outfielder, and a starting first baseman at different times for the Twins during mm-hmm. his career. So we'll dive into that. But essentially, the Twins were coming off their third straight division championship here in 2004. The feeling was that after getting beat in the ALCS in 2002 and after getting beat in four games by the Yankees in the first round in 2003, that they were ready to take the next step and to beat the Yankees. And standing in their way was a 101-win Yankees team with maybe one of the most ridiculous lineups in recent Major League history. I mean, this let's go through the guys. Derek Jeter, Alex Rodriguez, and Gary Sheffield were the first three hitters in this lineup. So two Hall of Famers and a guy who gets votes. One, two, and three. And, yeah. And Chef had a great year. He was hurt going into that series, but had been fantastic. Yeah, he had a left shoulder problem, yep. if I recall. Yes. Hideki Matsui, who at the time was one of the best hitters in baseball, came over from Japan. Bernie Williams, Yankees Hall of Famer. Jorge Posada. John Olerud was the starting first baseman because Jason Giambi had some sort of like stomach virus. Parasite. or Yeah. Yeah, a parasite. So they would have had Jason Giambi. Instead, they had sort of aging John Olerud, but yep. still... Still an on-base guy. Ruben Sierra still had gas in the tank. I'm missing one there. Miguel Cairo was at second base in in the game that we're going to talk about. But just an absurd lineup. On the twin side, Joe Maurer had actually torn his knee early in the season, 35 games into the season, and he was out. And so they wind up replacing Joe Maurer, who even as a rookie was like 300 hitter, 
six home runs in 35 games. So they were replacing one of the better hitters in baseball with Henry Blanco, who wasn't much with the bat, but good working with pitchers. This was also the year that Justin Morneau took over at first base for Doug Mankiewicz, who got traded to the Red Sox. Yep. And in this game one, Johan Santana against Mike Mussina. Mike Mussina going into this game was 20-3 and three in his career against the Minnesota Twins. But the storyline with the Orioles. As Fox uh, talked about continually with uh, Buck and McCarver throughout the, the course of that game, the storyline in that series was this. Mussina, and then what else? Right. Clemens is gone. Wells is gone. Pettit's gone. So it was going to be Mussina, John Lieber, if you recall him, I believe a former yeah. Pittsburgh Pirate at that time, Kevin Brown, who was aging. And so the big thing was, can the Yankees basically outslug teams? Yeah. And and the pitching had gone from being top-notch, or I should say the starting pitching probably, had gone from being top-notch to this complete unknown. And so going into that series, I think nationally there was... Expectations, too strong a word. I think there was a feeling that the Twins had a chance because the the Yankees starting pitching did not look nearly as formidable as it had in 2003. And the key, because the Twins had the best starting pitcher in the series. Johan Santana had emerged as one of the three best starting pitchers. Like 25 at the time, too. He was. And we're gonna we're actually going to get into just like sort of the the age and winning curve of this team. And if like if you would have said this or this at that time, how shocked would you have been? But But Johan was on the ropes early in this game. Uh, Torrey Hunter actually had to gun down a runner at the plate. I believe it was Jorge Posada in the second inning. The Twins get out of a jam in the second inning, and uh, this, this is this is the highlight of Torrey Hunter gunning down Posada. And he loops one into center field. Hunter with a catch. Here comes Posada. Play at the plate. Posada is out, and the inning is over. Perfect throw from Tory Hunter. So that kind of like that kind of set the tone. The Twins setting the tone with Johan Santana and then three time at that time three time Gold Glover Tory Hunter and him coming off the field thumping his chest and yep. mfing and it was in the middle of Yankee Stadium and you and like I remember watching that moment thinking hell yeah like this is this is it this is the Twins. The story of that game is is two things. One Santana was not super sharp but he, but he was an ace. The other thing that was incredibly important. And a big difference between the two, this 2004 Twins team and the 2019 team that we saw last year, defense. The defense in Game 1, phenomenal. Hunter makes the a throw on the Olerud fly ball to center field to get Posada at the plate. In the 8th, absolutely robs a, a hit by crashing into the fence. Yep. And in that game... Shannon Stewart had one up against the fence. Did. Not the famous one from 03, but a different one. In fact, I can tell you exactly where. He wow, just scored the game. The game. scored the game last night. Ruben Sierra, <laughs> before Olerud flew uh, to to Hunter for to get Posada at the plate, out one... Bottom of the second, Sierra deep fly to left. Posada actually was at second and tagged and went to third yes. on that play because Stewart did not have a good arm. But the Twins turned five double plays in the course of this game, and the Twins' defense in this game is phenomenal. It is the it is the calling card of the team, right? They didn't make yes. mistakes in the field. They didn't really walk opposing batters, and they made a lot of contact with their hitters. I mean, it was it was mostly their their entire blueprint was centered around not peak upside power and peak upside strikeouts. It was let's just never make mistakes. Let's mm-hmm. take outs away and let's just drain these teams out. Mm-hmm. So Johan, he's on the ropes quite a few times in this game against this absurd lineup. He settles down a little bit. The twins scratch across a couple of runs, one on a Shannon Stewart single in the second inning, and then Jock Jones, just a couple days after his dad passed away. 
Hits a solo home run to put the Twins up 2 nothing. Very successfully. That's pretty well hit into left field. Matsui back at the wall. This ball is gone. Home run for Jock Jones. Took a red eye. Flew all night to get here, and he was ready for his third at bat. That makes it 2 nothing Minnesota. And so that was that was all the Twins needed. Joe Nathan comes in, locks down the ninth inning, and this was, this was the formula, right? You get Johan Santana. Get game one. Yep. He's the best starting pitcher in the series. He'll come back and pitch another game. If you get game one in Yankee Stadium with Johan Santana, this was supposed to be it. Like, that's the formula. The Twins clearly were not psyched out in game one by the Yankees. And then the series went like this. The Twins had a six to five lead in game two, about to take two games from the Yankees in Yankee Stadium, top of the 12th inning. And Joe Nathan just didn't have it in game two. He walked two guys, gave up a double to A-Rod to tie it, and then Matsui came he, in and won it on an RBI sack He was sack brought fly. back by Gardy for a third inning of work, though. Correct. That's the big question mark was, really? Right. And he, and I think, and yeah, just you're right. And so he didn't have it in his third inning of work, nor should he maybe been. That's that's where, like, you have to, <laughs> that's a, that's you have to have your ask. finger on the pulse. That's a big ask for a closer. And after walking his first batter, that's probably the time to pull him. Like, yes. there's a lot of guardy things to discuss here. Yes, uh, but they stuck with Joe Nathan, and he gives up the tying run. So now they go back to Minnesota, still tied one to one. Yankees blow out the Twins in Game Three. Game Four, the Twins again up five to one in the eighth inning, a chance to tie the series and bring it to a Game Five. Wandering Cone gives up four runs in the eighth inning, including a three-run bomb to Ruben Sierra at the Metrodome, and the Twins eventually lose. The clincher in 11 innings, series over. So the Twins had late leads in three of the four games in the series. They only win one of those three games, which they had late leads. And now you fast forward 16 years, 16 years, and the Twins still haven't won a playoff game since. 0-16. 16 years and 16 games. Yeah, And they led in every game of this series. In every single game, they took a lead. And, yeah, it's, it's remarkable. So I'm watching the game, game one from 2004 last night. And, you know, you're going back to the old Fox stuff and you're seeing the old TV shows and you're seeing how young Nathan and Cuddy and Morneau all look. And then you process this simple thought. This franchise has had, since that time, success. Oh, yeah. Now, they did go through the long stretch, but they've had success. And they have not won a playoff game. And all of these guys look older, including us now. So here's the first key question. And all a, those shows have been canceled. Right. Well, most of them. Yeah, I think probably all and of them. And that high shows. angle center field cam, which was supposed to show us pitches perfectly, has been long forgotten. I like how they hedged on that. They did. So the first pitch of the game was from that high up centered cam. And then yeah. the next pitch was back to where the cam usually My is. My first thought was, oh God, please don't tell me I'm going to have to watch this entire yeah. game from that camera. <laughs> That's right. I'd forgotten about that camera angle. But it's amazing. You can't show people baseball games for like 50 years with the same camera angle and then change it and expect people to go with it. So, yeah, go ahead. Quickly, the second thing, and I think it was only unveiled once, TV thing, scooter, explaining pitches. Oh, that's right. Little scooter. That's right, the little like. He was explaining, I think he was explaining the circle change by Santana. That's right. Here's a circle change. This is what Johan does. (laughs) Is it Elmo? It's what he sounded like. Scooter was like an animated character that would come up and explain. He was like Peter like Putt from the 70s for the early 2000s yeah. for pitching. So key question number one here, and it's piggybacking off what you just got into. What if I had told you guys, all right, right after this game ends, so just the way that you felt after this game, the formula for the Twins, 
Johan Santana comes in, even without his best stuff, holds that lineup scoreless through seven innings. Joe Nathan locks it down. His numbers in the regular season are just right there on par with Mariana Rivera's and ERA under two. Torrey Hunter with swag plays in the outfield. The Twins aren't intimidated at all in Yankee Stadium in game one. Torrey Hunter was 28. Justin Morneau was 23. Joe Maurer, who wasn't even playing in the series, was 21 years old. Johan was 25. Cuddy was 25. Mm -hmm. And Joe Nathan was 29. Mm -hmm. And we would be sitting here 16 years later, and they would not have won another playoff game. Like, how do you process that? What would I tell? I can't. It's damn near impossible. I would have said this. If you had told me that that night, I, I would have said, this team is far too good. They're far too sound fundamentally at that time because that was what what we saw if you go back and watch that that game one what we saw that night was what became the joke in years after which was the twins way right it was it was solid pitching in santana's case very very good but it was really good solid defense it was all of these things and if you had told me that night i mean if you had told me going into 2006 against the a's guess what they're gonna do get swept i said you're crazy yeah so i would have told you you were absolutely bonkers you you could have told me that night hey there's going to be a really uh extended stretch from 2011 to let's say 16 when this club is going to be really bad i would have said okay i can buy that before I can buy that the team that you were watching on that night in Game One, two thousand four, was not going to win a playoff. Right, game. because I think when you when you when you look back to those seasons, especially oh three oh four against the Yankees, and then you know even like oh six when they when they were ten games under five hundred early in the year, we think of the little engine that could Twins, and oh one when they came out of nowhere and there were contraction discussions like that's the little engine that could Twins team. Uh, it was it was. Reportedly, the Twins team that turned down a chance to be the subject of the book Moneyball. How do you take a shoestring budget as a little engine that could operation and go toe-to-toe with these big-time teams? But then when you watch this game, and by the way, this is on YouTube. If you just want, if you want to watch this game at some point, it is, it's worth your two and a half hours. They cut the commercials out. It's a really quick game. Uh, it's yeah, great. It's 2 nothing. 2 nothing. It's fantastic. Just search ALDS Game 4 Twins Yankees into YouTube and you'll find it. When you watch the game, it doesn't feel like if you didn't know what the Yankees' record was, they had 101 wins, the Twins had 92. So the the Yankees were a better team just in terms of right. their record and everything and their lineup. But if you watched the body language and you watched Johan and you watched the the little vignettes with Tori Hunter speaking before the game and stuff like you would you don't think of oh man the Twins are Rocky and the Yankees are Drago like the the Twins act and talk like they are better than the Yankees throughout this entire thing last night. And I had forgotten that. I I think back, and in my mind, it's like, oh, they're intimidated, and they just, like, there are definitely moments in the eighth inning of Game 4 and in the extra innings of Game 2 where, like, yeah, they clearly were a little bit intimidated or the moment swallowed them up. But overall, I was surprised just how much, almost like arrogance the Twins had uh, right. relative to what my memory was. So Santana said. is a, a great a starting point for this discussion to me, Phil, because Santana, if you go back and watch that game, for him, he is not struggling, that, that's the wrong word, laboring, okay? His location's yeah. not great. But you know what, what you're watching between Johan that night and Hunter? You're watching guys who, when things aren't going well, 
are still gifted. And Santana, and, and what we saw, so so if you want the definition of when, when we talk about this team needs a true ace, right? What you saw in game one that night from Santana is a true ace. That's a guy who does not have his best stuff, but he figures out a, yeah. a way. And at 25, what impressed me, at 25, so he's not old at that point. Not only the stuff and and how he worked out of jams, and yes, the defense behind him was very, very good. But what really caught me was Blanco at that point is an old man, veteran, gritty catcher, right? Calling the ball mm-hmm. game, right? Watch the amount of times he shakes him off. Mm-hmm. Like, no, no, I'm throwing this pitch. Yeah, he's in full control. That's not Mauer, you know, hey, kid, I'm throwing this pitch. That's Blanco, veteran catcher, mm-hmm. tools of ignorance guy, taking yeah. foul tips off the mask left and right, calling his game. Yeah. And Johan, to your point, in full control saying, oh, no, no, here's what I'm going to throw now. That's a true ace. Yeah, and they haven't had one since no. then. You know, you, you can say from a talent perspective, okay, Francisco Liriano was maybe the most talented pitcher the Twins had in 2006. But when you have the and, – and Jose Barrios has some of the best stuff in all of baseball. But when you combine stuff and then that alpha bulldog, I'm in control of this interaction between batter and pitcher and catcher and pitcher, Johan was one of a kind. And, like, I've spent so much time on our afternoon show, Mackie and Joe with Rami, weekdays 4 to 6 here on Score North and the Score North app. I've spent so much time lobbying for Johan Santana. It's too late now because he didn't get enough votes to even stay on yeah, the ballot. But ridiculous. like, you know, Mike Messina was at a different point in his career. There's a 10 year age gap, but I think Johan Santana is more of a Hall of Famer than Mike Messina. And Mike Messina had a wonderful career throughout the 90s with the Orioles and his time with the Yankees in the early 2000s. And he racked up a lot of counting numbers and stats. And he definitely was one of the 10 best starting pitchers probably of his era. But at no point during Mike Messina's career mm-hmm. would you have considered him the single best starting pitcher in baseball? I don't think. Maybe for a flash in like the mid-90s I don't think he was dominant. Months. No, I think you're right. He's just a good, he steady very, pitcher very for good. 15, 20 years. Absolutely. Johan Santana, for for six or seven years, was, to me, in the mix with Roy Halladay. Like, there was two or three years where he was 100% the best pitcher in baseball. And then like Roy Halladay was in the mix. And so that was my thought about Johan's Hall of Fame status going into this game and just rewatching this game and watching him work in and out of jams and you know fight his command and still hold that lineup scoreless through 7. I mean that that's a Hall of Fame performance. I get that it's happening in the ALDS and not the World Series and you know if there's a lot of guys like if they would have had more playoff cred, Johan Santana, Joe Mauer would be more surefire cases for the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. And 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 Joe Mauer, by the way, because he wasn't active on this playoff roster, mm-hmm. Joe Mauer went his whole career without ever winning a playoff game. It's amazing. That is remarkable. Because he was, I mean, he was on the disabled list for this team, but he did not right. play in this game. Right. So Joe Mauer went 0-16 in his Twins playoff career. Or not 0-16, 0-15, I guess it would be. Because he didn't, or Owen, uh, Owen 13. Yeah, he didn't play in the he series. Didn't lose last year. The, these three. Yeah. A remarkable stat that night, that win marked the Twins' eighth consecutive game one playoff win of some sort, World Series or playoff game. Really? At that point. Wow. So, so they, they were swept by the O's in, in the first two ALCSs that were ever played, I believe, were 69 and 70. And I believe in both of those, they got swept by the O's. But starting with uh, Game 1 in 87 against Detroit, then Game 1 World Series against the Cardinals, Game 1 against Toronto, ALCS 91, Game 1, they beat Atlanta at the Dome, Yeah, World Series, 
Uh, and then, hold on a second here. 2002 against, against, oh, against the A's. 2002, they, they beat, beat the, the Angels. Angels. 2003, game one. Yankees. The year before, the Yankees. 2004, which is the night that we're talking about, they huh. beat the Yankees. Wow. Eight consecutive. They have now lost their last five. What a factoid. Starting in starting in 2006 to the A's, 2009, Yankees, 2010, Yankees, 2017 wild card game, one game loss, 2019 last year, Yankees. And then when you take, so you take 0-2 ALCS against the Angels, and then you take 0-3-0-4 against the Yankees in those shorter series. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the odds of you winning game one of all three of those series and then Getting swept clean the rest of those like, like very slim like the twin the, the twins are going to go down as such a fun you know the, the the story of these twins teams from the early two thousands and coming rising up from contraction but also I think this twenty year run of playoff futility is also just some of the most like statistically mind boggling stuff that you'll ever come 16 across in professional consecutive sports. playoff defeats is remarkable in a coin flip sport. Remarkable. It's a coin flip sport. Like the the worst teams can still take two out of three on a given yeah. weekend. You know the Pirates can beat the Yankees two out of three. All right. So key question number two here. We'll get to Michael Kadire who played in this game and was a part of all these series that we're talking about here. What would you say? Is the main reason why the Twins couldn't beat the Yankees during that stretch? So 03, 04, <laughs> we'll say, uh, we'll even include 09, 2010. Let's include the, the, the four series from that era of Twins baseball, not counting last year's team. If you could pinpoint like one main reason, is it mental? Is it, well, the Yankees were just better? It became mental, but on, in, in going back and watching that entire game last night, I don't think that series was mental. It became that. It did. But but then we also have to be fair to this conversation to include the 2006 uh, being swept by the A's, which obviously was a nice team, but certainly not the Bronx Bombers. Uh, I think it became a mental problem. I think going through the the 2004 series in particular, Phil, it was not nearly as mental as we recall it now. I think at times it was judgment decisions by Guardi. I think it was bringing your closer back for a third inning of work in a playoff game. That's tough. You just don't have that gas. Like that's a that's something to me where where you would where now it would never happen, right? There's no way on God's green earth that Rocco would be like, I started chucking the ball pretty good, or I'm going to to risk that. The two things that we saw last night in going back to watch this game to me were, were one, on the course of the broadcast, they never once, ever once, and I watched the entire game and scored it, mentioned pitch counts, okay? So nobody was aware of pitch counts. It wasn't a thing. And they're like, Santana's chucking the ball, and I'm waiting for, but he's at 89 pitches or right. something. And the other thing that comes back was button guys over to second base to get him in scoring position, which they did back then. But my point being is, is I really think if we are to take the series that we're trying to break down right now, I don't think the Twins uh, being swept in the last three games of that series is a mental factor nearly as much as it was probably decisions. Here was the here was the conundrum, and I th- honestly I think the decision was was an easy one if you could go back and play it again, but. The Twins didn't have a super deep bullpen. The Twins had Joe Nathan, who was arguably the best regular season closer in in the game at that point. He had a 1.6 earned run average. He struck out 89 batters in 72 innings. He had 44 saves. He was just lock it down in the middle of his prime. Juan Rincon was one of the best setup guys in baseball at the time. And J.C. Romero was spotty with his control, but was a good, solid, like, seventh inning guy 
After that, it was just a bunch of randoms. It was Aaron Fultz, Joe Roa. But you would have a starter now. Starter now stretched out. That's the difference. But here's the other thing. They're starting, like the Twins had a really thin pitching staff that year, too. They talk about the Yankees thin pitching. The Twins had Johan. Yep. And they had Radke, who was in his prime. And so the Twins had a nice little one-two punch. But the Twins' number three and number four starters were Carlos Silva, who, like, had a pretty good season, but, like, couldn't miss a bat to save his life. And you put Carlos Silva in against that Yankees lineup, and you're, you know, you're asking for trouble in the they late innings. Right? I think they did eventually. They did. Uh, <laughs> Kyle Loesch was their number four starter that year. Yep. They didn't have a number five starter. They, they had a handful of guys sort of trading out, including Terry Mulholland at age 41, Love made 15 Mulholland. starts as their number five starter. Seth Greisinger Don't remember made nine Seth. starts sure for the Twins, 6.18 ERA. Great guy. Matt Guerrier, young Matt Guerrier, made a couple of starts, and JD, the real deal Durbin, made a start was he as up? the number five starter. Wowza. Yeah, he was 22 years old. They called him up, and he, yes, gave himself the nickname, but the real deal, in case you're wondering. Played Tory again, and his comment, and he's not full of BS. I, I don't think, after going back and watching that game last night and going through this series, I don't think that this was nearly as mental as I recalled it being. We, we want them. If we play the Red Sox, we play the Yankees, we want those guys, you know. We, what we're going to say? No, we don't want those guys. <laughs> we're not scared. We're competitors. We're Major League Baseball players. We're, we're scared. We need to get a dog and go home. So we're, we're not like that. I'm sure they're not scared of us. They're not going to say we don't want to play the Twins. We don't want to play the Angels. We don't want to play the Red Sox. They want to play us. They, whoever comes our way, they're going to want to play us. That's the way we feel. I'm, so, I, I love that guy so much. But, but your response? Yeah, you think I, I think that we I think that we think now it's always been mental. It's always been, and I don't think from a team perspective that's fair. Yeah, listening to like the team leaders, listening to the team leaders, I I, I will say you know Ron Ron Gardenhire and I have you know I love Gardy and I've but I've heard this from people in the in the clubhouse that he gave off a nervous energy sometimes, especially like oh nine two thousand ten when it just became more of a thing against right. the Yankees. Yes. I don't know if that nervous energy was a thing as much in 0304 because they were like at the time they were still pretty new on the cusp of being this team that was taking the major leagues by storm. By the time 09 and 2010 came around, I think the gravity of the playoff futility sure. streak and and coming off a couple seasons sure. in which you missed the playoffs, like there was pressure because you you were losing like you lost Johan in free agency, you were losing some of these core guys. But at this to time, age. no, yeah, at this time, th- this was a young. Somewhat cocky club. Uh, Torrey Hunter was one of the cockiest, in a good way, baseball players in the entire league. And going back to that game, too, here. So Joe Nathan getting run out there for a third inning. All right. And that was 53 pitches. The 53rd pitch was the ground rule double to Alex Rodriguez. Yeah. And Joe Nathan is a guy that usually rides between 15 and 30 pitches. He's pitching one inning, and they rode him for a third inning. And here's the logic, I think. Mm-hmm. J.C. Romero, correct me if I'm wrong, was a left-handed Reliever. Yeah, I think that's correct. Uh, let me just verify that. Yes, he's a left-handed reliever. Yep. The Twins had already used Juan Rincon for two innings. They really had, especially against that lineup, they had three truly trustworthy relievers, Joe Nathan and Juan Rincon and lefty J.C. Romero. And the batters that were coming up in that 12th inning for the Twins, or for the Yankees, Derek G, well, Miguel Cairo, just, all right, whatever. Yep. Uh, Derek Jeter, yep. right-handed batter. Yep. And Alex Rodriguez, right-handed batter, and Gary Sheffield, 
right-handed batter. So my guess is Ron Gardenhire's logic was, I know Joe Nathan's up to like 40 pitches. <laughs> I'd a, rather a right-handed elite reliever <laughs> at 70% face these elite Hall of Fame right-handed batters I than a left-handed pitcher. I he gets hammered than a left-handed pitcher. <laughs> and uh, the decision is still being second-guessed to this day, obviously 16 years later. But when we come back here... Michael Kadire will join us. He's been wonderful on a couple previous episodes of Minnesota Sports Rewind. If you haven't had a chance to dive in and binge some of these while you're living this quarantine life, go back and find our recap of Game 163, our recap of Game 5, 2002, against the A's, the Moneyball game. And when we come back, we'll go inside the ropes, behind the curtain of the last Twins playoff win, Game 1 of the 2004 ALDS with Michael Kadire. I'm Phil Mackey. That's Judd Zolgad. This is Minnesota Sports Rewind. You're listening to Minnesota Sports Rewind. Planning to buy a new boat this year? Glenn Perkins here for my friends at Nelson Marine. The Nelson Marine difference is about customer service and a knowledgeable team of sales and service pros. Two large showrooms filled with an impressive inventory of the best brands in the business. London Crestliner Fishing Boats, South Bay Pontoons powered by Yamaha, Suzuki, Mercury, and Evinrude. Nelson Marine has been creating happy customers for 75 years. Visit their showroom on Highway 61 in White Bear Lake online at nelsonmarine.biz. Mackie here, and during these uncertain times, your team at Federated Mutual Insurance Company has kept a strategic focus on policyholder service. They've been directing clients throughout the country to the information they need on written pandemic policies and procedures, recommended response plans, and communications to employees. If these resources could help your business, please contact your local Federated Marketing Representative or visit FederatedInsurance.com. As a mutual insurance company, Federated believes their value is measured by the success of their clients. Federated, it's their business to protect yours. Minnesota Sports Rewind. Stewart, good start for the Twins. That's into right center field. Sheffield cuts it off and makes a good throw. What a play by a guy with his left shoulder that's just killing him. Into right center field, going to get it, Jones. The Twins win game one. And Tim, tonight they did it with pitching and defense. This was the most uncharacteristic game for the two starters tonight and for the way the Yankees have been going. What a job by the defense of the Minnesota Twins. Strong seven innings from Santana, then Rincon and Nathan to finish it up. All right, welcome back in to Minnesota Sports Rewind. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad, and you can go binge episodes while you're sitting at home a lot more often these days. You can binge anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search Minnesota Sports Rewind on Apple, Spotify, or the Score North app. And uh, Michael Kadire has been wonderful on a couple previous episodes here. Game 163, we recapped with him. Uh, the Moneyball game, Game 5 of the 2002 ALDS. And uh, Michael, we, I think, came to a realization, Judd and I, just about 15 minutes ago, as we last night watched back Game 1 of the 2004 ALDS, which is it's amazing, but it's the last time the Twins won a playoff game. I think... The media and the fans, and we have been guilty of this, always kind of look back and think, man, the, the twins were just kind of intimidated by the Yankees. There was just some, there was just kind of a, some kind of a scared factor there. When you watch that game back, that is not the case. So there's probably reasons why you guys didn't beat the Yankees in those series, but watching Tory Hunter and what he was saying in some of the video packages beforehand, and just watching you guys and the body language and Johan Santana, I don't think anybody was staring at the pinstripes, even though you didn't win the series in 2004. 
No, we were never scared of of the Yankees. We were never scared to go into Yankee Stadium um, and play them. I mean, they were just freaking good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, plain and simple. We were too. Don't get me wrong. We were we were too. But I mean, you you look at the the guys that they're throwing out there, and it didn't matter what Yankee team it was. Um, they were good, uh, plain and simple. Um, and you know, I don't know where it was, but. You know, that series in 2004, you know, I thought we had that. I thought we were going to win um, game four and go to a game five, and I thought we had we had a good shot at winning that series. Unfortunately, the eighth inning of game four didn't go well. But, um, you know, you watch game one and you watch the double plays that we turned. You know, we didn't make mistakes in that high-pressure situation. Yep. You know, one of the coolest parts uh, of, of thinking back about that game one um, – First of all, it's cool hearing Tim McCarver and Joe Buck talk about how well the defense is with me at second base. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, one of the coolest parts uh, that I remember from that game was, uh, and I remember if it was Bernie Williams or Posada at the plate, and you got 50,000 people going crazy, and you know we turned double play after double play after double play. And hearing – you know, old Yankee Stadium, 55,000, 60,000 people in the stadium going nuts to running off the field and being able to hear a pin drop <laughs> was one of the eeriest and coolest feelings I've ever had on a baseball field. And uh, that's what I remember the most about that game one. And I, I've said for a long time now, as a sports fan, the only thing, uh, Michael, that I think is actually more intriguing and cool than hearing a big crowd in a stadium go nuts is for the opposing um, team to shut that crowd up. And so in that stadium, Mm -hmm. and the new place, I I actually went and covered the two games that the Twins lost uh, this past year there. The new place is cool, but that place had to be incredibly special and just the environment there because it was was sort of a, how, how can I put this? Nicely, it struck me as a freak show, but in a good way. And to shut that crowd out must have been incredibly fun. It was, and and you know, to your point, there at Old Yankee Stadium, they're right on top of you. And yeah, I'm sure the the seats were expensive and whatnot, but they weren't as corporate as New Yankee Stadium. You know, you were you didn't run off the field and, and above the dugout see suits and ties as you do more so in the in New Yankee Stadium. So. Yeah, I mean, as you're running off the field, you're getting yelled at and screamed at and just people going crazy and not nice, uh, so to speak. And <laughs> to hear, I mean, to be able to to listen and literally hear individual conversations going on, if there were any, as you're running off the field was, it was like I said, it was one of the most eerie feelings, but coolest feelings I've ever felt on a baseball field. In game one, what's that like to be a young team, a cocky team, a good team, and and the most important thing, I would guess, is you start Santana, who at that point was not a nice pitcher. He was not good. He was a legitimate ace. What's that confidence when you go into a game in a stadium like that with a pitcher who has that type of stuff and probably as important, that type of presence, Michael? Yeah, we were confident, and obviously to have that have Joe Nathan on the backside of the bullpen as well. And you know, we we talk about us being a young team and whatnot, but at that point, we'd already been to the postseason the last two years and went to the ALCS two years prior. So yeah, we were young, but we were experienced as far as playing in those games. And oh three, getting 
getting beat and swept by the Yankees. Um, you know, I believe we got swept by the Yankees in 03. Uh, you, won, um, you won game one in 03. Won, won game one again. So having that experience, knowing that we'd already gone through it, you know, we had all the confidence in the world going into the into the 2004 playoffs. And, you know, I think we showed that game one where we didn't back down. We won a close game, um, a hard-fought game. I, I thought we had momentum going into, into game two, and unfortunately we just – we couldn't win another one. Michael, what are you've dove into the atmosphere at Yankee Stadium a little bit, but what are like one or two of your favorite old Yankee Stadium stories? Is there like the, the way that they the way that they <laughs> chide opposing players in the outfield? Like there's got to be some stuff that throughout yeah. your time there happened. Oh yeah, I mean my first game there ever I'm playing right field. I'm running out to the field prior to uh to the bottom half of the inning start the first inning started. And as I'm running out there, people in the right field, you know, that's where the bleacher creases are, and they're waving, whatever. So I'm like, you know what, I wave back. And once I wave back, man, 20,000 middle fingers go up. <laughs> Who do you think you are? Da, da, da. <laughs> Just, I mean, they baited me and set me up into that. And then the whole rest of the game, I swear it's like church where they had to have hymn books or song books in the, in the back of the thing because they were right on cue. I mean, they were singing in rhythm and in harmony. Had harmony sections going on. It was unbelievable the, the stuff that they would uh, that they would do out there in right field. <laughs> I remember they. Uh, I think I was I was out there for the 2010 at the at the new Yankee Stadium even, and like Den- they were on Denard Span at the new Yankee Stadium as much as I've ever seen a, a poor player getting yelled at. So. It is. It is kind of. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know what though? You 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 appreciate it there because they're creative and and they they don't say the same thing every single inning. It's different. It's different every inning. So, you know, as a player, yeah, you're getting harassed and yelled at, but at the same time, you're waiting to hear what's next. Like, what what can you guys come up with next? As opposed to some other stadiums where it's you're a bum for nine innings, and you're like, all right, I get it. Three and a half hours later, I'm still a bum. All right, <laughs> let's move on to the next. Let's move on to the next. Uh, the next derogatory statement. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. So Michael Kadire is with us here on Minnesota Sports Rewind. We're talking about 2004 ALDS Game 1, which is the last time the Twins won a playoff game. It was an impressive 2 nothing win. Johan Santana didn't have his best stuff and still shut out for seven innings, one of the best lineups of that era with a bunch of Hall of Famers in it. Um, speaking of Hall of Famers, so Mariana Rivera, I've always wanted to ask you or somebody who faced him a number of times this question. So that dude threw one pitch, basically, for 20 years. That dude threw one of the nastiest pitches. But what is it like, and he was wonderful in this series as well, as expected, what was it like knowing what a guy is going to throw and still being relatively unable to do anything with it? What was it like facing Mariana Rivera? Well, I mean, yeah, you you obviously knew it was coming, but... You know, he would change it up a little bit to a righty. He would, you know, you're sitting on the the cutter away, right on the outside corner, and boom, he'd either throw a front door cutter or he'd throw a two seamer just to get you off that cutter just for a minute. And the thing about his cutter, and I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but it was different depths. One would break, you know, eight inches. One would be four inches. One would be five inches, and you couldn't ever really barrel it up. And I think that was the thing. And then. You know, as his career started going on and the mystique and the lore of his, of Mariano Rivera, he started playing mind tricks as well. But, but And then his ability to be able to basically eliminate the lefty was a big thing as well. You know, I mean, lefties, you know, you're, you're going to break a bat. You had no chance uh, for the most part, especially in his prime. So to, the ability to 
one, not allow righties to square it up where they're going to do much damage and completely eliminate the other side of the plate. And you only had to get three outs. You know, earlier in his career, he would get six and nine at times. But I don't know if he would have been able to live like that as a starter. But as a closer, man, it was dominant because he was able to eliminate a half side of the plate. So uh, Jeter, A-Rod, Sheffield, Bernie, Posada, go down that list. Who among... uh, Matsui. Matsui. Who who scared you guys the most, do you think? That year, Sheffield, for sure. I think that was the year he was in the running for for MVP. Um, I mean, obviously, the, the whole lineup had the sure. ability to beat you and, and beat you in many different ways. But, you know, Sheffield was one of the guys where if there was a man in scoring position, you didn't want him to butt up. I don't know, he weighed 130 RBI or something like that that year. Mm-hmm. and um, You know, just had that presence at the plate where you knew he was looking and going to do damage. And, um, you know, but... Uh, ultimately, Ruben Sierra was a guy we didn't want up, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ruben, uh, except, except, Ruben still had some gas in the tank. Except, <laughs> except, guys. The the one thing what was in, in that game one, if you go back and watch it, he leads off the seventh with what they initially rule a home run to left, and, and in the days before replay in that stadium, the umpires, to their credit, get together, congregate, and rightfully so, say foul ball. But I, I was surprised because that struck me as a very uh, MLB thing before we had replay where they very easily could have said, yeah, it looked like it might have been fair foul, but it's, it's Yankee Stadium. So also, Gardy's explanation after the game, because on the video that's on YouTube, they actually show like the post-game press conferences, and somebody asked Gardy about it because he ran out. And he said, I mean, I didn't really see it, but I saw the umpires kind of put their hands up like they didn't know, so I felt like I had to run out there and make sure that <laughs> everything was on the up and up. Yeah. So. What was what was okay? Yeah, what was yeah, I mean, what was Gardy like during these these tense moments in series and like the Yan- at Yankee Stadium? What uh, what was he like as a manager? You know, I, I honestly I didn't really pay too much attention to what to what was going on with him and and how he was treating it. You know, I mean, it's not like you know football where you got to keep your composure and, and call plays and, and you know and, or basketball you're on the sidelines and, and playing sight all the time you know baseball is a little bit different where each player knows what they got to do and what they have to accomplish and when you're actually playing and, and you're in the game and you're up to bat or you're worrying about who you're facing and your your game plan against that guy you're not really paying attention to the staff um, especially in those tense moments so to be honest with you I, I can't really say how how he was or what he was thinking or his reactions or anything like that what was the end of the end of that win at yankee stadium where does that rank of uh, among the the high points or the the peak moments of elation in your career michael well i tell you we didn't get to hear liza minnelli sing new york new york very often so being able to hear her as opposed to frank sinatra was a really good <laughs> yeah <laughs> when they put when they win, they play Frank Sinatra. Yep. When they lose, they play Melody Manelli. So being able to hear her sing in New York, New York, was uh, was pretty cool. <laughs> we didn't get to hear that very often. So well, we appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing some stories and sharing some memories. And hopefully, we get to play baseball this season. By the way, this has all been kind of depressing to see uh, baseball and sports put on put on shutdown. But hopefully, we get to see some baseball at some point in the middle of the summer, Michael. Yeah, I hope so too. Obviously, I mean, it, I think the whole world would love to have that and be able to uh, get back to some sort of normalcy. And, and sports is a huge part of that normalcy. So hopefully, hopefully, sometime soon. Thank you, Michael. We'll talk again. Thanks, Michael.
All right, guys. Take care. That is uh, Michael Kadire, Twins All-Star. Home, home run, though. They, I was really surprised because it would have yeah. been really simple to be like, yeah, it looked like it might have been fair. It looked like it might have been foul. It's Yankee Stadium. What's called? Well, that's there. also how baseball has operated with balls and strikes and like literally everything for years until they brought replay in for some of these plays. But I got a couple more key questions for you right. to to uh, wrap this episode of Minnesota Sports Rewind here. So, if you could add mm-hmm. one thing to that 2004 Twins team to push them over the hump, and maybe they could have rewritten history. I'm going to give you a few options here. All right. Okay. Would you have added a healthy Joe Maurer? Because Joe Maurer played only 35 games. and, and I remember he got hurt. So you, to catch a foul you could ball, add yes. a healthy Joe Maurer to the series. All right. You could add a legit number two starting pitcher. Okay. So not another Johan, but like somebody who bumps Radke down to the number three spot. Okay. Or a big power bat. So you could have kept like David Ortiz or something or whatever, like a, a, a. But you only get to choose one of those three things. What would you for that, add? For that series, I, I actually would probably pass on all three that you gave me and add another really strong bullpen arm. Okay. Because the whole thing about the whole thing, if you really felt and clearly Guardy did, compelled to keep your closer in for a third inning of work, that's a huge problem. And if you're like, well, but what what else do I have? I don't have a starter who can go out there. I probably, for the sake of that short series, would have added one more arm that I could completely trust yeah. in the bullpen. How about yeah, you? you know, Jesse Crane was supposed to be that, and Jesse Crane had come up and he had pitched some innings, but I don't think they felt he. I don't think he was ready to like really throw in the eighth inning of a playoff game. So that would have been helpful. You know, I look at some of these games and like, I'm kind of with you. I, I probably would have added the starter because. Then you could maybe bump like Carlos Silva for a ground ball in the in the seventh or something. Maybe he moves to the bullpen to so get a double play ball. So you would have had to be ball. Santana starter X Radke. Yeah, and I actually pulled up a list here of trades that were made at the deadline in 2004 just to see like were there pitchers because there's some other years 2010 the Twins could have had Cliff Lee at the deadline they didn't want to give up Aaron Hicks right. You know, how would that series have played out differently if Cliff Lee was your number one starter and then Liriano was your two and Pavana was your three? It definitely matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going up and down this list, and it's a lot of, like, Nomar Garcia-Para got traded at the deadline. Uh, Doug Mankiewicz got traded at the deadline. There weren't that, uh, is it Rudy Sainez? Like, there's a couple of bats that got traded. Alex Escanzales no, and Orlando start, Cabrera. No pitching. Larry Walker got traded. It was mostly yeah, bats. The Cardinals, right? Roberto Alomar actually got traded a couple days after the deadline too. Uh, but like, the, I think the best pitcher that was traded in and around the deadline was Corey Lytle. The Phillies acquired Corey Lytle from Cincinnati mm. on August 9th of two thousand four, mm-hmm. and so there might not have been a guy at the deadline to acquire. So I think I agree with you because the problem in this series was not being able to hold late inning leads. You couldn't hold. You didn't have enough depth to. At least you didn't feel confident in your depth to let Joe Nathan pitch fewer than you know three innings. So I think I would I think I would agree with you. If you had another lights out reliever, could you have at least won one of those games that you blew? I think you could late? have. Yes. Yeah. I think the answer for that is definitely yes. And that was you know that was a Yankees team that had an extraordinary lineup, but certainly the starting pitching was suspect, mm-hmm. and you could have beat them. The, the incredible stat I saw that they flashed on Fox. Uh, during the course of that game, though, let me see if I can find it quickly. That team, the Yankees, 2004, 61 come from behind wins, the most yeah. since 1900. That's nuts. And they came from behind. 
in every game that they won subsequently after they lost game one. There were probably Think teams about that, though, Phil. in baseball that didn't win 61 games in 2004. They won, they won 101 games total, right? Yeah. You said that was 101 wins for that team. 61 during the course of the regular season in 2004. They Man. came from behind to win. That's nuts. Also, how crazy is it to think that, obviously, the 2004 ALCS is one of the most memorable playoff series of all time between yeah. the Red Sox making the comeback. Yep. Down 3-0. Yeah, the Twins could have screwed up history, man. Right. The Red Sox came back, one of the great ALCSs of all time. Uh, I think the Red Sox would have probably <laughs> beat them in five and still gone <laughs> to the World probably Series. True. and won It would have been, it would been far less exciting, however. All right. Last key question here. Which Twins-Yankees series, for all, for all of us, okay, Declan too. In fact, I want to start with Declan on this, because Declan watched all these series and was a fan too. Which Twins-Yankees series do you regret the most? 03, 04, <laughs> 09, 10, long list. or last year? <laughs> all right, so 11-year-old Declan was in the stands of Ruben Sierra hit that bomb. Oh, wow. I was at the game. Scarring. And my mom even let me stay up to watch game two that went late into 12 innings because that game went well into past, well past midnight central time. And I remember being able to stay up on a school night to watch it. But I think 2010 was the one that hurt me the most. Because at that point, I was a senior in high school. I had a full grip on what was going on in baseball. I was all in on that Twins team. And I was confident, even after they lost game one, that I was going to be watching the Andy Pettit retirement ceremony in game two at Target Field because he started to pose to Carl Pavano. Yeah. And Ohad hits that home run to tie things up. I believe in the bottom of the six. The crowd's going wild. And then they find another way to blow game two. And then game three was an absolute gong show in 2010. But I really thought that 2010 team was going to do it. 2019, I just wanted to see a playoff win. Like yeah. I, I knew that Yankees team was just as good as the Twins and probably obviously better. But I just wanted to see a playoff win. And since then, I'm now 27. So half my lifetime, I've only seen... Twins playoff losses. So wow. 2010 for me. Yeah. I'm going to this team, 2004. They're young. They're good. They're not scared. Now, certain people might have been, but as a team, Torrey Hunter's not scared. Santana's not scared. Morneau's too young and dumb to be scared at that time, right? I'm going this team because this was the team that had started to go up the hill. At this point in time, we didn't think that they were certainly, and they weren't, they shouldn't have been coming down that hill. So I'm going to say this 2004 team, because they had the ingredients to be successful. Yeah, They definitely did. And and I think starting in 2009 or 10, the mentality changed. But in 2003 and four, you lost. It was too bad. But I don't think it was people, especially players, grabbing themselves around the neck and losing games. So I'm going to sort of go off of the process of elimination here, all right? Everything Declan said about 2010, I remember I covered, that was my first year covering the Twins beat. And so I was, I was very much ingrained in what that team was capable of doing and what they weren't. And in the end, they just didn't have a number three starter. Like Brian Dunsing had to start game three at Yankee Stadium. They didn't have a number three starter. They, they didn't even have a number one starter. They had two number two starters, or maybe they even had two number three starters. They had Carl Pavano and Francisco Liriano. Uh, Scott Baker. Was in the mix there. He yeah, might have had some so, elbow things so or something. Much. But like they didn't, they didn't have a Johan in 2010 or nine. By the way, 2009, you might make a case that they were the hottest team in baseball down the stretch. If you believe that like that momentum carries over in baseball, I don't think it does because you you start a new series, you face a new too. pitcher. What was that? Stop partying too. Yeah, like the champagne. Yeah, celebrations. They, the series are too close to do that. Yeah, last year too. 
going into the series, I felt like offensively they matched up, if not maybe even more firepower than the Yankees. But then again, you watch the way their rotation deteriorated over the season, and like Randy Dobnak had to start a playoff game for the Twins. Like, who's Randy Dobnak? All due respect. So I look at last year in 2010 and kind of think, they just didn't have, you can't run those dudes out in Yankee Stadium for for a playoff. Like, you can't. Those, and they shouldn't have with Dobnak. So I, I almost eliminate those seasons based on that. 2009, they made a they made a run down the stretch, but Justin Morneau was hurt. So I think 2004 is the is the one I regret the most too. You had Johan, you won Game One, you had all these guys in their prime. Tory Hunter, mm-hmm. Justin Morneau was emerging and had a hot season. Like I think that was the year. You could make a case for 2003, although you look at games two through four, and the Twins scored a combined three runs the rest of the series. They just didn't even like they didn't have leads. 2004, they had leads. And they should have won a couple of those games that they lost. So I would say this one is the most regrettable. That was a fun game. It was. Last playoff win. 16 losses. Sins. It's amazing. It is amazing. Well, hopefully they can. I think they're going to win a playoff game this year. If this, That would be the ultimate you know twin thing if the season got canceled. <laughs> Go Scooter. God. This is a fastball. <laughs> Here's what that looks like, kids. Scooter on Fox. That was short-lived. I loved old TV. If you want more episodes of Minnesota Sports Rewind, find the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or the Score North app, and please give us a five-star review and a rating if you could, or a five-star rating and a review if you could, to help spread the word to other Minnesota sports fans. We're going to be back with another episode next Tuesday, every Tuesday and Thursday here on Score North for the foreseeable future at 11 o'clock, Minnesota Sports Rewind. Score North Live is next with Rami. You have a smartphone. You're the man. You love Minnesota sports. Yes, sir, I do. So, of course, you should follow Score North on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, all at Score North.